Welcome to Passion Life Church. You know, today we're continuing the I Am series, and we got this name, I Am, because it is God's name. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, and they were slaves, and they were captives, God chose a man named Moses, who was on the backside of the desert, and he saw a burning bush, and in the burning bush, God spoke to him and said, I want you to go to Egypt and be a deliverer. Moses was smart enough to know that his name did not have a good reputation, so when he went back back to Egypt, he wanted, and he was, he wanted to say, he, he wanted to know, well, all right, who is this, this voice that is calling me? Who should I say sent me? And you know what God said? He said, Exodus chapter three, verse 14, he said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. That word in the Hebrew is the word Yahweh. Would you say that with me? Say Yahweh. It means existing one. You know, when you go to the New Testament, the the Pharisees were trying to figure out who Jesus was. And I love this because Jesus does the same thing. He responds to them in a name. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham, I was. Here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. You know, I love the name of Jesus, and we're going to talk about that. But when you look at Jesus as our Yahweh, it means Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior. Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior. Why is it important that I review that before we get into the name that we're going to talk about today? Because every name flows out of Yahweh. Every name of God that we talk about flows out of Yahweh. We have spent literally eight weeks now learning the names of God. Why, why is that important? It's one of the ways that we know God. And that's one, of, that's one of the pivotal points of our vision here is that you know God. Not in a religious way, but really know him, know his voice, know his thoughts, know how he thinks. And one of the ways that we know God is through the names that he reveals to himself. Yes, we can know him through prayer. Yes, we can know him through his word. But I will tell you this, he reveals to us names so we can see different and identify different facets of his character. And so as we've discovered, here's the most incredible thing about these names is that when God's people got into a predicament that they couldn't get themselves out of, here's what God did. He revealed a name to them. He revealed a name that they could identify with. They re- he revealed a name that oftentimes was exactly what they needed in the situation. And I just want to encourage you today. So whatever you're facing today, God has a name. Come on, can I hear a good amen today? God has a name. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And today, we're going to look at Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. How many of you could use some peace today? You know, I believe that peace is one of the top two things that people are looking for. I think they're looking for purpose, and I think people are looking for peace in their life. Why? Because it's essential for our life. How many of you have been without peace? How many of you ever been anxious? How many of you ever been worried, right, when there's, when you just have this, you don't have this sense of peace? You need peace. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at Judges chapter 6, verse 1. But as you're turning there, I want to just give you some context because I think this is so important. God's people have turned away from God again. Just like last week we talked about, they had turned away from God. Now, it's not that they forgot about God. It's that 
He was just another thing on their list. He wasn't first, so they put him second and third. And I'm going to say this probably every time that we have a part of this series. You will never win a battle with God as second in your life. You will never win a battle when God is fifth. You win a battle like Moses when he is your Jehovah Nisi and the enemy is coming to the valley and you run up in the morning and you hold up the staff and you put him first and you wave the banner of Jehovah Nisi. He has to be first. Can I hear a good amen today? So it's not that they forgot about him. It's just he was no longer a priority. You know, in the Old Testament, they call this idolatry. In the New Testament, it's often referred to as just a worldliness or worldliness. And here's what worldliness is. It's conformity to the God of the culture rather than the one true God. We're seeing this today. Culture is just trying to consume people. And they tell you that if you're not down with this culture, that you're a hater. No, actually, I'm a lover of what God loves, and I hate what God hates. And God doesn't hate people. He hates sin because sin kills people. And so I love people, but I don't have to agree with your lifestyle to love you. And so we can get consumed by the, the culture. And I think, though, in today's world, when we think about idol worship, we think about bowing down to some wooden statue or having a, a statue on our shelf, which some people still do. Some people still do worship idols. But I want to break this down and really bring it home because an idol can be something that you count on above God for your provision, for your direction, and for your satisfaction. Let me say it this way. Your idol can be your default. It's that thing that you turn to. Do you know that God, when he is number one, he is the source of your life. God is always your source. Your job is your resource. I want to tell you how subtle this can be that we start worshiping the wrong thing. Many people worship the resource instead of worshiping the source. This is why people say, oh, Phil, you don't understand my job. It's driving me crazy. Well, why is it driving you crazy? It's not your source. It's your resource. Hello, hello, hello. Anybody here? Okay, I didn't know if I came to the right church this morning. So what people do is they, they put their faith in their resource. Listen, how many of you know God can change your resource anytime? But he's always the same. But just a subtle change like that, we start to worship our job. Since you're quiet, you're going to stay quiet because I'm going to go a little bit deeper because I'm coming for you this morning. You know why? Because I want you to have real peace. Real peace. So it's so subtle. You know what's interesting to me? I've been in the ministry for almost 30 years now. Isn't that crazy? I know some of you are like, aren't you 35? No, no, no. I'm, I'm not. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. But I hear these, these things a lot. Oh, Pastor Phil, you don't understand. It's family first. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say seek first your family and all these things will be added unto you. It says seek first the kingdom and then all of these things will be added unto you. So watch this. If I put my family first and are focused just solely on my family, this is why families implode because they're so focused on themselves. I've had people literally tell me we don't come to church on Sunday because Sunday is family day. 
Okay, so family day, you as the head of your household are going to sit on the couch and watch Disney, right? And because you want to have family day. It's interesting to me because for us at the Valdez's house, hear me, church time is family time. And today we are, yeah, you can put your hands together if you want to clap today. So our family have decided to serve a cause that is greater than our family. So today I'm serving. My 13-year-old son is back there serving. You know, my wife is serving. We're all serving a cause that is greater than ourselves. So we don't just sit around and look at ourselves. No, our priority is seek the kingdom of God first. You know, my son uh, is doing media. He's been in that class since, man, he, <laughs> he's in the sixth to sixth grade class. Now he's seventh, seventh grade. He's 13 years old and he's serving back there. He does all the media. He's in charge of the sound. And so last week, somebody told me, you know, during worship, it was a little loud. And then, so they went to, to go talk to him, to tell him to turn down the sound. But they said, this leader told me, they said, I went to your son to turned down the sound, but he was so involved in worship with his hands raised like this, I didn't want to bother him. Listen, my church family, I'm not an expert on family, okay? I have a 13-year-old son, and I'm 13 years in, but I'll tell you what, to me, it gives me great joy that my 13-year-old son is in church on a Sunday lifting his hands towards God. I know you're clapping, but this is much deeper than what I'm saying, because the reality of it is I have to hook him on the Lord more than I have to hook him even on me, because there's going to be times where I'm not going to be around. There's going to be times where he's going to face issue where he's going to have to go to God by himself. And so it's not what I leave to him. It's what I leave in him. That's going to matter. So here's the reality. So many people, and I'm talking about this as a family. Look, I only have one, all right? So here's what I'm telling you, but it's still easy. It's easy to worship your kids. It's easy to put them above God. But watch this. You know, the other day my son came up to me. You know my heart. But he came up to me the other day and he said, hey, Dad, I just want to tell you that I love you. And he said, I think you're doing a great job. I said, thank you, because I've had other teens tell their parents, I hate you, Dad. I've been in youth ministry for almost 20-something years. But let me just tell you this. Here's what happens. See, I could prioritize time with my son, or here's what I could do. I could prioritize time with my heavenly Father, who is perfect. So when I spend time with my heavenly Father, He is perfect, all-consuming love and unconditional love and strength. So watch, when I spend time with my heavenly father, the result of my time with him is I become a good father. And that's reflective now on my family. So do I prioritize my family? Yes, but not above the Lord. You know, me and my wife... I don't know, 15 years now, 16 years. Again, I'm not an expert, but I will tell you this. We're still together. Praise the Lord. I'm still married. We're still happy. So, so many people in their marriage prioritize their spouse over the Lord. This is so dangerous because the moment my wife puts me above God, guess what happens? Man, I make a horrible God. 
she will suck the life out of me. And this is what happens. So here's how you have a great marriage. You keep him first. So watch this. So I go to the Lord to get his love and receive his love. That love is imparted to my wife. Now I'm going to tell you something. My wife is the most amazing woman that I've ever met outside of my mom. My wife is so easy to love. She's so kind. And the other day I just said, I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Because she's perfect. I'm still in process. How many of you know? Come on, somebody. I said, I'm just glad you're still here. She said, "I I love you. Now, let me just say this. It's so easy for me to put her above the Lord. But here's what happens. A lot of people do this is they put their spouse above the Lord, then they wonder why they have challenges. Well, Pastor Phil, aren't we supposed to serve one another? Yes, aren't we? The Bible says actually submit to one another. But watch this. Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. So all of my horizontal relationships are just a result of my vertical relationship with God. So as long as this is good, this will be amazing with people. But so what we do is we focus on this first and then we put him second or third and then we wonder why our families and our marriages are falling apart. Now, I want to let you know, me and my wife have an incredible marriage. It is supernatural. Why? Simply because we put him first. I love my son, but he's not first. The love I have for God is first. And the Bible says this, if you will seek his kingdom first, all of these things will be added unto you. Your family will stay together. Your marriage will stay together. My church family, here's what we do, right? God created something. So we worship the creation instead of the creator. We can worship marriage. Can I tell you that was God's idea? Thank you, Jesus, right? Some people worship sex. That's God's idea. Oh, it got quiet in here. I'm just seeing if you're awake today. How did you have your kids? I'm just wondering if if you're a little concerned. We worship our kids, and they are all blessings from the Lord. So here's the reality. If you keep him first, he will keep you and your marriage and your family together. So in our family, we know that God comes first. I know this isn't a marriage seminar, but what I'm telling you is that because God is first, it affects the way I treat my son and it affects the way that I treat my wife. And because my wife looks at God first and not me, it affects the way she treats me. And because my son honors God, he'll honor his parents. Oh, that's good. I should have charged you today to come in. I, I really, this should be like a conference. But why am I saying all that? Because when we think of idols, we don't think that way. We think of some type of thing. And I'm going to tell you, apart from God being first, yes, my family is second, but I have to go to him to get everything I need to be able to be and have a healthy family. Did you learn something so far today? And I want to bring this into reality today because we have little idols in our life, and this is what's happening with the children of Israel. It's not that they forgot about God. It's just he's just one other thing. You know, when we went on vacation, I had to go to San Francisco and Los Angeles for a book thing because I I wrote a book, and I'm writing another one. Now, um, you know, my son came up to me, and he said, Hey, Dad, 
He said, why are we missing two weeks of church? I said, well, I have these opportunities. I have to go. We're going to go minister to people. Okay, but I really miss church. You know what? I'm so glad because I hope that when he's 22 and maybe he's not at home and something's going on in his life, he'll run to the house of God because mom and dad won't be there. But what he learned in this time, I'm just, I'm going to go here for just a minute, please. Because I hear this all the time. I want to help people. I hear parents tell me all the time, oh, I just don't want to, you know, I just don't want to influence what my child believes. Your child is six. So listen, so what does that mean? Does that mean when your child wakes up and you say, hey, Billy, Billy, what do you want for breakfast? Billy's like, I want gummy bears. You're like, okay, Billy, here's gummy bears. I don't want to influence your nutrition. Oh, I'm not going to offer you broccoli, Billy. You know why? Because that's what I believe in. I'm a big broccoli lover. But you know what? You're six years old, and so you'll figure it all out on your own. But we got to go to the dentist because you got four cavities, Billy. What do you want for what do you want for lunch, Billy? Oh, I want sour patch kids. Okay, here they are. I don't want to influence what you believe about food. But people will do that about their relationship with the Lord. If I can teach, here's, here it is. If I can teach my son how to pray, read the word, have a good relationship with Jesus, guess what? I succeeded as a parent. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So here's what happens. is So the children of Israel, they like to look at what the Amorites are doing and the Hittites are doing, and so they wanted to be like them. And so you know what God did? God turned them over to those who sought to dominate them. So here's where we find God's people. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. I haven't forgot. I told you to turn there. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And the power, listen to this, the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Here was God's people who were supposed to be powerful, but now the power of Midian prevailed over them. Why? Because they put God in second or third place. And so as it turns out, due to their own obedience, the enemies that they were supposed to be defeating were now defeating them. And it was devastating because it was devastating for them. Every time they would plant, the Bible says that the Midianites would come in and the Amalekites would come in and they look like locusts because there were so many of them and they would steal all their produce to the point that the children of Israel were now hiding out in caves. God's children were hiding out in caves. Can I just tell you, fear is always the result of disobedience. You open the door. Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with God in glory. Some people say they were naked, but it was almost like a glory that they walked in. As soon as they ate the forbidden fruit, the God that they used to walk with, now they're hiding from. And it's funny because you think you could play hide and seek with God? Well, Pastor Phil, you did say, Adam, where are you? Yeah, it wasn't because he didn't know. It was because he wanted Adam to be honest with where he was at. And so here they are. Let me say this. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Disobedience will always disrupt your peace. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. And so 
I want you to notice something. God just doesn't want to leave his people where they're at. He didn't want to just leave them in Egypt. He didn't want them to be slaves. He doesn't want us to be slaves to sin. He doesn't want us to be slaves to the idols that we serve. So what does he do? He does what he always does. He calls a person. Remember, he called Moses. So now he's calling Gideon, right? And so an angel comes to Gideon, Judges 6, 12. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You know, what's interesting. If you look up uh, Gideon's name in Hebrew, it means the great destroyer. Here he is. Now he's hiding, but God is speaking to him and calling him a great destroyer and a warrior. Now this is, scholars will tell you when it says the angel of the Lord, that it is Jesus in a pre-incarnate form. So Jesus, although Gideon is full of fear, Jesus is speaking a word to him to remind him who he is. And my church family, let's be honest, it's by the word of God that we can truly know who we are. So he speaks that word, but Gideon's struggling. He's struggling because he he saw everything that, that happens. And he's struggling like many of us do. So many of us have let situations and things that have happened to us in our lives define our lives and give us a name, right? So instead of living in our God given identity, you hear people say this. Well, you know, Pastor Phil, I'm just a divorcee. You know, I was divorced, so I'm just a divorcee. Well, Pastor Phil, you know, I'm just a mom. No, you're not just a mom. Listen, you're a woman of God. I said, you're a woman of God. Where are all the women of God today? I said, where are all the women of God today? I'm just a soccer mom. No. Oh, Pastor Phil, you don't understand. I'm just a grandfather. No, you are a mighty man of God. Where are the men at today? Come on, where are the mighty men of God today? But so what we do is we limit ourselves by something that's happened to us. No, you are not divorced. You are now just single. Come on, somebody. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. Judges chapter 6, verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, all right, he's talking to Gideon. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you. So this is important. So when God calls us, we have to make ourselves available to be used by him. But notice what, what, what the angel is saying to him. He's saying, go in this might of yours. Here's what I have found is the might of Gideon was really the might of God in Gideon. I won't say that again. Do we need to make the coffee stronger this morning? Is everybody all right? All right. The might of Gideon was really God's might in Gideon. And here's what we need to understand. So when God calls us, God is only calling out of us what he has already deposited in us. So if he calls you, he's already put something in you. God doesn't just make withdrawals. He doesn't call you to give what you don't have. So he gives it to you. Then he says, this, this is grace. We talked about this in growth track. God says, live for me. But here's what he does. But first you receive his life, his Zoe life. When you receive him in your heart, you become born again. And what happens? He gives you the very kind of life Zoe is that he enjoys. So he gives you life. And then he says this, now live for me. So Phil has been crucified with Christ. Now I don't live, right? He lives through me. So here's, it's so important. 
right? Because in the Old Testament and in the New, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, this is what it says. It's not love that you loved him first. What is love is that God loved you first. So when you receive his love, he will say, here, I love you. Now love me back. So I'm loving God with the very love that he's given me. I'm loving my wife with the very love that he's given me. I'm loving my son with the very love that he has given me. Pastor Phil, I can't forgive. Well, have you received his forgiveness? Because when he puts his forgiveness and you receive his forgiveness, it's the only way that you can forgive other people. The only way that you can love your enemies is with the love that God gives you. Because you have enemies like I have enemies. I don't want to love them. I want to give them a little taste of the fivefold ministry gift. But with God's love in me, I see him different. Are you here this morning? And so God will only call out of you what he's deposited in you. But you know what? Gideon is not convinced. He's still afraid, right? And so let me say it this way. He's not at peace. So Gideon asked the Lord to show him some signs. This is what I love about God, my church family. I love this about God. I love the fact that he meets us right where we're at. And he does this with Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 22. It says, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, watch this, peace be with you and do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and he called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still an Ophrah. Man, she's been long, around a long time. No, it's not Oprah. It's Ophrah. Oh, there you go. Now some of you are laughing. Took you a little bit, but it's good. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Aberzites. So the name that Gideon gets from God, that God reveals to Gideon, is Jehovah Shalom. Everybody say that. Say Shalom. Now listen. The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Now, this is something that Gideon had to learn, this is something that we have to learn. Here's number one. Peace is tied to his presence. I want you to notice what it did not say. It did not say Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who gives peace. Now, does he give peace? Yes. How does he give peace? He gives peace because he is peace. This is important because I think sometimes we think when we need peace, God has a little bag of peace that he just kind of like, right? Like magic dust at Disneyland, Tinkerbell stuff. You need some peace? Where'd you get it from? I don't know. It's like this, where is it? He gives peace because he is peace. It's a part of his presence. So the name of the Lord is peace. Now, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble today, but it's okay. Because we need to look at this and we need to understand who God is. Last week, we talked about Jehovah Sikkenu, Jesus is your righteousness. He is righteous. So when you receive Jesus, what do you receive? Righteousness. Now, righteousness and peace go hand in hand. 
You have peace with God. Why? Because Jesus gave you his righteousness. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Jesus. So Phil's righteous. Not, he's not righteous in himself. He's righteous because Jesus is righteous. When Jesus came in me, he didn't leave out his righteousness. He brought in me his righteousness. Righteousness and peace go together. So today you have peace with God because you are righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Come on, say, I have peace. They're tied together. Now here's where I'm going to get in trouble. I'm very careful at the worship songs and different things that I listen to because just because it's Christian doesn't mean it's good. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I was watching a service online and they were doing a worship song and the song went like this. I'm not here for blessing. I'm just here for you, Jesus. Okay. But if I get Jesus... I get blessing. That's like me saying, hey, I'm going to come over and swim today. I don't want to get wet, but I'm going to get in the water. It's the same as saying, Jesus, I'm not here for righteousness. I'm just here for you. Jesus, I'm not here for holiness. I'm just here for you. My church family, he is righteous. He is holy. He is peace. And he will bless your life when he comes into your life. Can I hear a good amen today? I want to shock every religious bone out of your body. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember he left the house? He went to Las Vegas? Remember he gambled, right? That's the message translation. He went to Las Vegas. He lost everything. And then he's sitting with the pigs because nobody would hire him. And he starts thinking about his dad and how good his dad is because his stomach starts to rumble. Because you know why? He's hungry. Now, I'm going to tell you why the prodigal son went back home. He didn't go back home because he wanted to be holy. He went back home because he was hungry. Yes, he reminded himself how good his father treated the servants. But he said, look, I'll even be a servant just for the food. But God doesn't want servants. He wants sons. And he came back because his belly was hungry. So when he got home, the Bible says that the father was already a long way off. But the father didn't say, hey, what are your motives here? Do you, do you want to be holy? No, you know what the Bible says? That the father ran to him and grabbed him. And even before the son could say that he just wanted to be a servant, right? Well, when did the son repent? He repented when he came back home. He said, man, I want to go back to my father. Look what the father did. He wrapped him in a robe. He put a ring on his finger. He put sandals on his feet. He killed the best calf for his son to come home. Do you think people in the Old Testament came to Jesus because they say, oh, I want holiness. Many of them came because they needed healing. But guess what? When they got healed, they got Jesus and many of them got saved because they needed healing. Can I hear a good amen today? When you get Jesus, you get it all. And I understand the motive. Well, you know, I just don't want blessing. But you can't separate him and his character. Jesus is blessed. And when he comes into your life, you are blessed. So I didn't listen to that worship song because yes, I want Jesus, but I want everything that he has for me in my life. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said clearly, these things I have spoken to you so that 
in me, you have peace. Where is peace? It's in him. It's tied to his presence. In this world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I think it's important and it needs to be said that you won't find peace in the world. But look what John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you, right? It says, not as the world gives you, I give you, let not your heart be troubled. So, and neither be afraid. Notice again, fear and peace are together. The lack of peace produces fear. What is the peace that the world tries to give you? It's a peace that is not tied to God's presence. It's a peace that's tied to circumstances. So the world says this, when everything is calm, you'll have peace. Well, you should be calm when everything is calm. That doesn't take anything supernatural. But what happens is the world will keep you looking at your situation, looking at your circumstances, and so you're waiting for this calmness. How many of you know you can fly out to Maui, Hawaii, and sit on the beach and try to have peace? But that's not what's going to give you peace. Oh, it'll help a little bit. Come on, somebody. But all of the things that are happening in your mind. But the world attaches its peace to whatever the circumstances are. So what is peace? Peace in the Hebrew, and actually in the Greek, means completeness, soundness, arrest. Everybody say that. Say arrest, welfare, health, prosperity completeness, wholeness. How many of you know if you're not complete, you're going to have fear? So completeness, soundness, arrest, welfare, health, and prosperity. Everybody say prosperity. Listen, don't be afraid of that word. You know what I would be afraid of? Prosperity without peace. The Bible says, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, but watch this, it adds no sorrow to it. So this word prosperity is a great word. When God comes into your life, he's going to move you forward. Come on, he's going to promote your life. He's going to bless your life. Can I hear a good amen today? But what the world does is they try to seek prosperity without his presence. They try to seek prosperity without his peace. And I'm going to tell you, true prosperity doesn't come without his presence. People that are millionaires are blowing their brains out because they have what everybody would say is prosperity. But true prosperity is the presence of God in your life that gives you peace. Can I hear a good amen? And so peace is one of the ways that he describes his presence. So presence, peace is also a fruit of the spirit. You know, in the, in the Greek language, this word fruit means this. It means the effect or result. That which originates or comes, the effect of the result. There are many times in this service, at the end of the service, there is like such a peace in this, in this place. You sense it. What is that? It's the presence of God. It's the result of his presence on his people. And so the effect and the result of God's presence in the life of the believer is peace. Is one of, you know, when I was just praying over this, I was thinking about this. Think how amazing God is. Every attribute of God's presence is something that is essential to your well-being. Every attribute of God's presence is essential for your well-being for life. How many of you would love to live without joy? Is there any life without joy? And yet he defines his very presence. He says, in my presence is fullness 
of joy. I'm going to get in trouble again. Because when I grew up, preachers would say this, God doesn't want to make you happy. He just wants to make you holy. Hey, breaking news. God can be happy and holy because his presence is full of joy. And guess what? You know what I have found? Holy people are the happiest people because we're living in freedom. We don't have shame in our life. Come on, somebody. So we can have true joy so you can be holy and happy. I think it's funny because back then I was like, I want to be happy. I don't want to be holy. But you know what? I've never been more happy serving the Lord. It's been great. Has anybody got one witness in here today? It said it's greater to serve the Lord than it is to live like you used to live because it's an attribute of his presence. I was honestly, I was very taken by that, that every attribute of God is something that is a necessity to my life. And guess what? You were created that way because we were created for him. So what you're looking for is actually in him. There was an old worship song that I used to love. It said this, I could search all the day long and find that there was no one like him. Because everything that we need is found in him. And when you find him, you get everything you need. That's why I don't worship my needs. I worship him. That's why I don't worship what I feel. I stand in faith and seek him. I want to go back to this real quick. You know, some people worship their feelings. That's their idol. And they ask themselves, how do I feel today? I don't do that anymore. You know what I do? I say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Feelings, whether you like it or not, you will rejoice. And then I hit the snooze button and go back to sleep. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) So we can have peace. And here's the real peace of God is that you actually have peace even when you still have problems. Are you learning something today? But when you have God's peace, your problems don't have you. Right? So, oh, come on, let's clap just a minute. Let's clap. Come on, come on, let's clap. So, in Philippians 4, 7, it says the peace of God, which suppresses all understanding, it says will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. So the world now will tell you when things are chaotic. They'll tell you how to feel. They'll tell you, you need to be afraid. Listen, you should be freaking out. No, because the peace of God's presence in me is guarding my heart and my mind from what's going on around me. So just because you have problems doesn't mean you have peace. Actually, you have peace 
but you have to stop focusing on the problem. Do you remember Jesus told the disciples, he said, we're going to go to uh, the other side. So they all got in the boat and they got in the sea. And the Bible says that the storm arose. I think it's important that you know this because the storm was so bad. Not only was it beating on the boat, listen to this. The Bible says that the boat actually began to fill up. That's, that's a storm. But then the disciples look at Jesus and he's asleep. And I love one translation it says on a pillow. Have you ever watched somebody sleep when you're upset and it makes you even more mad? That there are those people, shout out to every person who can sleep through everything. God bless you. That's my brother. We were on a train in Mexico. He was on the top bunk and we, man, that thing started to rattle. He fell off the top bunk on the floor and I said, what? And he was like. God bless him. But you know what happens? Well, let me just say this. Jesus is asleep on the pillow. The way you sleep can indicate the condition of your spirit. There are a lot of people who have sleeping problems. That they are just unable to come to a point of rest. Do you know that God can do more when we're at rest than you can do by worrying? You know, the Bible says that God gave David rest from all his enemies. So it didn't mean that he didn't have enemies. It just meant in the midst of his enemies, he had rest. The Bible says that he will give his beloved sweet sleep. I love the way the Amplified uh, Classic says it. It says, it is vain for you, Psalms 127.2, it is vain for you to rise up early and to take rest late to eat the bread of anxious toil. He gives blessings to his beloved in their sleep. He's not talking about people not going to work. He's talking about people who they... What they do is they rise up early and they can't sleep because they're anxious and they're toiling. They think they should be doing something or they want to do it all. And the Amplified Classic says this, just go to sleep because when you go to sleep, God can do more in your rest than you can do in your own labor. This scripture, this next scripture was, blows me out of the water. The Bible talked about Jacob. This is, remember Jacob and Esau? They were about to meet. Jacob was not happy about meeting his, his, his brother because, you know, he fooled him out of the blessing and all those things. And the Lord spoke to Jacob. Watch this. Listen to this scripture. This is going to be my new scripture. Genesis 28, 13. God told him about taking territory. Look at what he tells Jacob. He says, I will give you and your family the land on which you are now sleeping. He needed territory, and God says, I can give you territory even while you're asleep. Let me say it this way. I can give you territory if you'll just rest and trust in me. So Jesus is asleep, and the disciples are freaking out. They don't think he even cares about them. He's, they're shaking Jesus. And so Jesus shows us by sleeping in the storm, it's possible to be in the storm, yet the storm not be in you. So I can be in a storm, but yet I'm not in the storm because I'm in him. And in him, I have peace, no matter what the storm is. Now, the disciples actually tell Jesus, don't you care? You're sleeping. But this is what happens. The disciples show us that when we allow the cares of this world to dominate our life, we eventually think that Jesus doesn't care about us. So they wake him up. My church family, being at peace doesn't mean being calm when everything's calm around you. 
When everything's calm around you, you're supposed to be calm. Being at peace means you're at rest even when the world around you is chaotic because you have the presence of God that is with you. That, when the Lord told me, you go and I will be with you, that's all I need. Because everything, when he says, I am with you, the series, I am with you, everything I need is in that I am. Everything I need is in that I am. That's why Moses in the Old Testament told God, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. Listen, I don't want to go anywhere. God doesn't want me to go. That's why I have to seek him because everything I need is in him. This is another level, yo. This is another level because I'm, I'm being very direct today. I'm not usually this direct because there are people who are suffering with peace and yet the presence of God is with you and you have peace. But the problem is, is you're not focusing and prioritizing his presence. That's why you don't sense peace. But when you put him in the first place and you prioritize his presence, watch how peace just consumes your life. And so Jesus stands up in the storm and he says, peace be still. I always say this when I tell this story because it's so important. Watch. When Jesus is at rest and asleep, the disciples are chaotic and trying to work. But when Jesus gets up and starts to work, the disciples are now peaceful. My church family, you need to let him work. And so Jesus says, peace, be still. Come on, say that with me. Say, peace, be still. Come on, say it loud. Peace, be still. I want us to notice Jesus spoke to the storm. Listen, that's faith in action. You're speaking into existence. It releases what you believe. So since I have peace, I have the authority to declare peace. So by speaking in faith to the storm, you're telling your outer world that it has to line up with your inner world. This is why I have chosen to invest more in my spirit and my inner world than my outer world. Because the reality of it is my outer world could be crazy, but I can have peace. And then if I will open up my mouth and I begin to speak to the storm, I can align my outer world with my inner world. Give me the Bible for that. Jesus said you need to speak to the mountain. He didn't say talk to me about the mountain. He said you got to do it. Remember, 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 I, I keep using this. Peter, James, Peter and John going to the gate beautiful. The guy was there. He was lame. They did not pray. Say, God, can you please heal him? They declared and they said, what? They said, silver and gold have I none. But in the name of Jesus, I have, I give you what I have. In Jesus' name, get up and walk. They declared it. They didn't pray. They declared it. They made a declaration. Why? Because the healer dwells in them. The healer dwells in you. Why am I healed? I'm not going to go there yet, but we will go there. Listen, if faith, faith has to move your mouth before it moves your mountain. So you have to start to speak. You have to start to talk. Now I'm going to warn you about something. I'm going to tell you the story, but I need to warn you. If any of you want to be my friends, here's what you need to know. You will and probably will end up in my sermon. What you say and what you do probably will end up in my, I just need to warn you about that. 
So here at church, we were just talking to a friend, right? Because what you say matters. We were talking about something that we both were believing for, and it happened in their life. They experienced a victory in their life. And so this weird, I was like, man, isn't this awesome? And he goes like this, it's unbelievable. And I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm getting older. It's not because I'm getting grumpy, but I'm getting more indignant when, when I hear people say something. And I stopped and I said, did you hear what you just said? You just said you don't believe it. Well, whether you believed it or not, it's already happening. Why are you saying that you don't believe it? And they're like, oh, you're right. I said, you need to believe it. It's happened. We're celebrating. And then they started talking, and we were talking again, and they said, oh, yeah, that's funny. I don't believe it. I said, you just said it again. And the person looked at me, and I said, I'm being serious with you right now. It's so ingrained in our subconscious that we don't think that our words matter. And they were saying, that's one thing in my pet peeve. I do not want to hear it. We, we do it in our house. We will not say, oh, I don't believe that. No, we're believers. Amen, amen. Come on, come on, come on. We're believers. We do not say. <laughs> I just laugh because, and I'm sorry, they'll edit this out of the, of the program later. Because there's another worship song that just came out. I love it. And it just says, I cannot believe how much you love me. We got to believe it. It's a great song, but I don't listen to it. Because you know what? I believe that he loves me because that's how I have to function. I understand what they're trying to say because the only way you can believe it is by faith that he loves you. But we're not going to sit here and say that's unbelievable. I can't believe it because the Bible says that these signs will follow them that believe. But faith has to move your mouth before it moves the mountain. And God calls those things that are not as though they were. This is exactly what God did to Gideon. He says, you mighty man of valor. He's a man that's hiding. And God speaks to him and speaks over him who he says he is, even though he doesn't see it. He speaks those things as not as though they were. Jehovah, shalom, is his peace. And peace is tied to his presence. So now since his presence is the key to our peace, how do we abide in it? Here's number two. Our thoughts must align with that truth. What happened in your mind matters. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. He will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts you. You can always just put rests in there because he rests in you. A person who is trusting is a person who is resting. So what happens in your thought life literally can be determining or be the determined factor whether you walk in peace or not. So disobedience will disrupt your peace. Disorder will disrupt your peace, not having God first. But you know what's sad is that oftentimes our own thoughts is disrupting our own peace. So when I just said the healer dwells in you, why don't we get healed? Because our focus oftentimes is we are looking for the problem, the symptom. Can I just encourage us today? Can you stop looking for the problem and start looking for peace? Can you stop looking for the problem and look to his presence? Stop even, I know this is kind of radical here. Stop looking for the healing and start looking to the healer. And guess what? When you're in his presence, you will be healed. 
But what we do is we need something in our life. We need deliverance. So we just a little subtle, I'm looking for deliverance. You know what? He is the deliverer. He is Yahweh. And if you will look to him, guess what? You will be delivered. Can I hear a good amen today? Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he says this, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. He says, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Watch this. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is what? Life and peace. It is possible to be a Christian and Jesus inside of you, and your mind is set on the flesh. And you don't experience what he has for you. But you're going to have to renew your mind and set your mind on the spirit. And guess what? You will experience life and peace. So when you continue to set your mind on the spirit, you develop a habit of abiding in him. You experience the peace. Now, for Gideon, that just meant knowing that God was with him and for him. So guess what? Peace replaced fear. When you become presence-focused, everything changes, my friends. Everything. His presence changes and shifts everything. In his presence, all the odds change. All expectations change. All outcomes become dependent on him. And you're not limited to what you can rationalize or understand. But we have to stop being problem-focused and start being present-focused. I'm going to tell you something. I don't hang out with a lot of people who are problem-focused. I will pray for you a couple times. But here's what I found about people who are problem-focused. Once they overcome one problem because they are problem-focused, the next thing you know, now they're talking about another problem. And I'm just like, didn't we just finish this one? I know you look at me and you go, man, Pastor Phil, you probably don't have any problems. I got problems. But I got a presence that is greater than the problems that I have because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What is in me is greater and stronger than what's going on around me. Can I hear a good amen today? So we're going to close with this. So Gideon builds an altar. Listen, he hasn't won the battle yet. He hasn't fought the Midianites. He hasn't solved the problem yet. He still has issues. He still has a problem. Yet before Gideon dealt with the issue of the physical realm, he made an altar to worship the Lord Jehovah Shalom and focused on the spiritual realm first. And on that altar, he praised God for his peace. Not because the situation had changed, but because Gideon recognized God's presence. Here's number three and the last one for today. Praise is the proof that you already have it. Praising is literally an act of faith. He worshiped before he won because he knew who was with him. And when you know that God is for you, nobody in hell can be against you. I don't care who they are. But listen, my church family, praise and presence always go together. Always, always go together. Pastor Phil, I don't feel his presence. Here's what you do. 
you have to lift your hands in faith because the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. But this is one of my favorite scriptures. The Bible says that when you begin to lift Jesus up, he draws you to himself. So there are times where my feelings are not feeling what they should be. I just lift my hands and remind myself of his presence. Come on, somebody. And I begin to lift up the name of Jesus. And when I do that, my church family, there is a drawing that takes place that the connection that may not be there, I don't feel is there, it happens and there's peace. This is why you have to worship when you don't want to. Oftentimes, that's the time you need it the most. Because when you go after presence, you will always have his peace manifest in your life. Can I hear a good amen today? Amen. When you have God, you have peace. You have strategy and wisdom. You read the rest of the story. Gideon's going to win the battle. But I just want to say this as I close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. God knew... Gideon needed a name to connect to the attribute of his character that Gideon needed at the time. And for Gideon, he was not at peace. And so God reveals himself as Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. And my friends, we sang it today. It's the same God, same God of Jacob. Isaac, Abraham, David, Gideon, it's the same God. It's the same peace. And it's in you and it's with you. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.